Thanks for downloading this podcast. podcast. It's for personal use only and must not be rebroadcast, reproduced or used in any form without permission. Tell your friends they can get their own copy by searching iTunes for Radio Le Mans or visiting RadioLeMans.com. Hello everybody and welcome along to our Formula One review for the season 2019 FIA Formula One Championship to give it its full title. Uh, and alongside me is Nick Damon because we can't have Formula One without having Nick. Hooray! Uh, I'm, I'm kind of warbling, you're warbling as well, we're double warbling there. Double warbling. You were still a bit loud at the beginning. Never a bit loud. Of always that. fine. Always fine. Always, always fine. Always fine, love. Uh, let's, uh, before we do our usual look back at who did what to whom and, and how and when, let's take ourselves whoosh back in time. If we had, if, if this was a television show, it would all go a bit wobbly. Yes, exactly that. And uh, we'd possibly even be in grainy black and white at this point. Yes, likely, yeah. Uh, at the start of 2019, when you and Sam and Tim and very briefly me did the preview yes. for 2019, what was the hot topic? What were the hot topics then? Well, the hot topic was how fantastically quick Ferrari had been in testing. That was the big hot topic. Um, based on the fact, of course, that this year was a minor refresh of the rules. It wasn't a major one like we had a couple of years ago. A minor refresh. Uh, designed to enable cars to follow each other a bit better before we get to the 2021 regulations, mainly focused around uh, changes to the front wing, so you couldn't to reduce the outwash, which produces nasty, dirty air behind. A couple of other changes as well um, to the rear wing height and to the effect of the DRS and to the barge board. So some 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 aerodynamic cleanup, the most visually obvious of all, of which was the front wing, John. And, of course, the tyres had been, whilst not being changed, had been simplified. So we always had hard, medium and soft, even though hard, medium and soft meant something different, actually compound-wise, at each race. Which must have provided some issues for Pirelli because it meant that they had to keep changing the colours of the sidewalls. I think the paint in the sidewalls at least their problems really. It's probably I would, I would think that that's paling insignificant for developing a complete new set of tyres of 2020 which no one bothers to use after it'll be upset with them. Yes. So, for all the things that were mooted at the start of 2019, yes. did any of them make any great difference? Um, I've, I, it's interesting. I'm not, not wish to give away the ending. Though. I think people probably know what happened now in the championship. Yes. Um, there was, it really was the fact that Ferrari had been so good in, in testing made us... Uh, and was there anybody out there who said, this is all complete nonsense, this happens every year in mm. testing, and it's not going to be anybody's season other than Lewis's and Mercedes? Anybody at all you can think of? Well, actually, in fairness, what actually happened was we all thought they were, they were, they were ahead. Um, I thought that Mercedes would catch up. Sam didn't think they'd catch up. And um, it was just how quickly they catch up, really. But they catch up in time. And my actual, st- what I actually said in the in the preview was, I said this is a championship where it's it's Mercedes against Vettel's head. And he says, who's going to win? I said Mercedes and Hamilton. Mm. And in fairness, Vettel's head did go as well to talk about on several occasions. But more importantly, um, Mercedes came out of the box way better than we expected. Was the racing any better? Not yes. not necessarily at the front, but I would have thought for. 
outside of the top three teams, the racing was a bit better. I think, I think not to give away the ending, but I think the <laughs> biggest disappointment of the season was the fact the top three teams still had that gulf between mm. them and team four, five, mm. and six. The strange thing is how close um, all Bar Williams were, and, and towards the end of the season, Haas fell off as well. But c- c- they all had weekends when they were the next best team. Though normally, obviously, it was 18, but every team had Toro Rosso, Alpha, all had good weekends when they're up there and compete with each other. So, that and if you took Williams out of it, mm. and particularly one of the Williams, again, not really spoiling anything uh, by mentioning that. The, actual, the gap between those midfield teams in time terms was actually pretty close. It was nothing, and, 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 and it just depended on how many, who had the best car for the best number of tracks. And, and in the end, it was McLaren who had the best overall car for it, but they had bad tracks as well. Um, so, yeah, so I think, I, think, did it improve? I think we did have some good racing. We, had, we, we reached an idea with, you know, world's worst race ever, TM, uh, which was the French Grand Prix, which was absolutely a dross fest of dullness unless of course you're a rabid Lewis Hamilton fan enjoying him getting all 26 points at which point we had a two week gap where F1 was dead the death knell of F1 was sounded there's no point going on F1 is dead unfortunately we followed it up with the Austrian Grand Prix that was great the British Grand Prix that was great and the German Grand Prix that was an all time classic and then we had the Hungarian Grand Prix which was another classic as well for different reasons so we had four fantastic races straight after it proving that no a bad race doesn't, make it, doesn't mean that it's dead. A great race doesn't mean it's in, it's in rude health. I think overall, the quality of racing was better this year than it has been for the last few years. I, 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 watched, has, I watched more Grand Prix this year than I've watched probably in the last two or three seasons. Mainly because there were more of them. Yes. Um, uh, and there will be more again, of course, in season 2020. But also just because of where I was in the world, the... Uh, US coverage was made easier to get because it's on ESPN, it goes straight through, it's got the Sky commentary, which has effectively become the international feed now for Formula One on its terrestrial or at least non-digital side of things. And we'll talk about the broadcasting uh, of F1 later on in the show. And I actually really enjoyed most of the Grand Prix, but not for the reason that most people would. I looked at them all... And we said this in Midweek Motorsport right throughout the year. I looked at them all as effectively mini endurance races. And what you were looking at absolutely, totally and utterly was tyre management for most of the season and most of the races. And whether people's simulations, and bear in mind, you talked an awful lot about whether people would have picked the right tyres having had to pick them for events a certain amount of time in advance, having changed compounds, uh, for this season, well, p- people clearly didn't always get their simulations right, and I quite like that because that throws a variable in. And there are some of the races where people got it wrong. The watching the world's best in our sport struggle with making what would, on the outside, be quite a simple tactical or strategic decision to any GT4 or GT3 team, never mind a works endurance racing team, I actually found very entertaining. So I found it entertaining for very different reasons. Yeah, I think, I think you know, and the tyres, unfortunately, is still the major major story because it's the, you know, in any form of motorised racing, be it two, four wheels, be it, you know, it is the only thing in contact with the road and it does create all your grip and uh, all your steering and all your power goes through it. Um, I think the... 
overarching issue is is that everyone because the issues are still there which is track position is king people are desperately driving to get a single stop a one stop strategy and i think out if you take away races where we had free stops because of virtual safety cars or safety cars I, I can only think about one or two races which were actually quicker to be two stops. Um, yeah. Brazil comes to mind and one of the early in the season. So that it was, everyone's always striving for that one stop. And of course, as we discussed on the show, you know, the problem being is that the variable of, of, of starting the fast cars on the soft tyre, which would have meant they'd have to stop twice, went because the fast cars were so fast, they could start on the medium tyre. Yeah. And therefore, they could go medium hard and get through quite easily. So that that is an area which didn't work. Uh, and in fact, of course, mentioning for the second time in five minutes it's not going to happen that was one of the things that these new 2020 tyres were trying to solve but the net effect of them having a wider operating range and greater degradation is the drivers didn't like them so we're going to have the same tyres again this year so it's going to be sorry coming into 2020 so it's going to be a one-stop fight again mm. um it's not necessarily a problem. It does obviously limit the variables. And if the midfield don't catch up, then again, the top three teams are going to have free choice of tyre effectively. Uh, as far as Pirelli's performance this year, they once again, I, I've always felt a bit sorry for Pirelli, to be honest, because they've delivered what they've been asked for. Sometimes that hasn't made them look very good. The differences between the tyre <laughs> compounds that were chosen for most of this year never seem to be big enough for me. And the ultimate performance of all of the tyres outperformed the uh, Pirelli recommendations in 99% of the times. Now, uh, I've watched a lot of F2 this yeah, year, I, I, Nick. I guess they're, they're chewing gum. And, and their tyres, if they say they're good for five laps, they're actually good for four and three-quarter laps. Mm. And then they try to do eight laps on them to get in the window for the second tyre. That's been brilliantly successful. That's not what's happening in Formula One. We had tyres like that, and they, they, but then they said they were looking the best drivers in the world look stupid, so they, they, they took this back away about five, six years ago. Um, yeah, I think, I think the interesting thing was, if you remember, when we had this, this, the start by Mercedes where they banged 8-1-2s in, um, mostly, it, it, as much to do with the failings of the other teams as to do with their own success, we had this big sway. Oh, no, the tyres being built for Mercedes. It's almost, it's not fair. The tyres built for Mercedes. Let's go back to last year's tyres. And we had that ridiculous vote with you know, Helmut Marko being a, I can't say the word on radio, which but he is basically an ex-pot, basically. Um, and, oh, it's terrible, it's terrible. And guess what happened after that, John? Moving on the season, the other teams got a handle on the tyres. And the other teams worked out, oh, but it wasn't the tyres the problem, it was, our, it was our engines or our poor strategy. And we saw a second half of the season where Mercedes didn't win every race. And now everyone's gone, no, but 2019 tyres are brilliant. You know, and this is the, I, 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 I believe, and my advice and something I've stuck to religiously through the 14 years of doing this with you, John, is start from cynical. Yeah. Start from cynical in F1, and you will rarely be let down. <laughs> um, calendar. Uh, we were looking yeah. at a, a long season. Nothing stretching, Stretching into December for the first time mm-hmm. since the 1960s, the early 1960s. At that, I think 1963 was the last time we had a December Grand Prix, and that was even later in December, uh, which was in South New Africa. Year, New Year's Eve or something, wasn't South it? Africa, yeah. 28th of December, something like, mm. something like that. Well, not quite that far into the year. Uh, this year, but a long season, uh, and that's grueling for everybody uh, involved. I know Formula One's a business, but I, I do actually look at that and and say 
Do we really need that? Well, apparently, Liberty think we do. And there's a couple of new venues for next year and an extended season. Yeah, I mean, we, we had nothing new this year. Um, after much machination, we ended up with about the, the same number of races, some, some subtle moves around, uh, the, swap, the swap between uh, Mexico and USA. And I think did Russia move as well? I, got, I don't quite, I haven't got the photograph memory of previous years. Next year, you know, we have two new races. We've lost Germany, we're gaining Vietnam, and we're gaining the Max Verstappen Fest at Zandvoort. So that is it. But this year, they'd all been there before. They all knew, well, apart from the rookies, uh, they all knew what they were doing, and it was pretty much the standard run into the summer, to the summer break in Hungary, and start again with Belgium before a long run of flyaways. It's the FIA Formula 1 2019 season review on the Radio Show Limited network of channels. John Hindoff with Nick Dearman uh, looking uh, at the whys and wherefores from last year. Let's get into the 10 teams, and there were only 10 teams this year. I remember we had the oddity last year of having uh, 10 teams, but 11 names. Mm. on the list. Uh, solidly at the bottom uh, were Williams, Mercedes, or as we like to call them because of the gap between them and the rest of the field. Team awful Williams. Uh, not a banner for Claire Williams and the, I mean, venerable privateer team. They've signed up with Mercedes again. That news came uh, in the year, so the stability for them for a, a good number of years. It was a five-year extension or yeah, something yeah. like that yeah. that they got. Um, the return to Formula One of Robert Kubica was less than stellar. Great story, but he struggled. There's no doubt he struggled. It didn't help that he was up against a teammate, albeit a rookie teammate, who was pretty good. Yeah, I mean, Williams have been on a slow downward spiral for a while but at this point they just literally jumped off the bottom step and fell down a ravine um, don't forget they were late for the first test but they, they missed the whole of the first test because they hadn't got the car ready which is unforgivable that is unforgivable the car turned up it was rubbish uh, Paddy Lowe was fired sorry put on gardening leave mm. other members were asked to leave as well there was a complete reshuffle and my yeah, yeah, this was all in the early all in the early first, months of the first year. couple of months and, yeah. and, and my feeling basically is and I've said this before and it's nothing to do with gender their team well their team principal is Frank and Frank is, is as we know um, incapacitated by a number of things, not not least old age these days. The team, the the nepotism principle in Claire Williams is completely unsuited to run the team, as far as I'm concerned. And they need to get a proper principle, and they're doing it properly, and they wouldn't have these problems. Even even like decision to sign Dan Tictum as their test driver, I sit there going, "What the? Why would you want that poisonous oaf in your team?" Um, well, there's a question of money, I presume. Well, this is what are they? What are they trying to do? Is it? Is it? Is it? Is it? Is it, is it are they trying to win? They say, oh, what are we going to do this? With money? We're chasing this. They, 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 obviously, they, they dropped Sorokin's cash and picked up Kubica's cash. They then picked up um, Russell, who was going to provide them with you know extra um, you know, brownie points from Mercedes. And But they just designed a terrible car. Um, and you start with, right, you've got the Mercedes engine. So you start with the fact that the engine, the gearbox, and everything else is working. So it's not like the old days where Minardi would design something which was 95 horsepower down because they could only afford a 1972 Model T engine to put in it. You know, it's, it's, it's not like that. They've got the same engine. The rules are you have the same engine, right? That's, the most, that's one third or two, a half of what you need. Mm. And then you design a thing that's two and a half seconds slower than the next car. It's like, I, it's, it's, I, I think. I could design a car that's two and a half seconds slower. It's not that difficult. Um, and could have almost taken an F2 car, to be honest. And, it kind of, and you think, well, what, what, the, the, and the buck never stops where it should stop, which is at the top. There will be people, and I've been among them, 
um, who will say, okay, I'll take that on board, Nick, but surely one person can't make so much of a difference. And it's not Claire who's designing the car. It's not Claire who's making tactical decisions. Um, you know, she's a business manager as much as anything else. Now, I say that and then look at the difference that Andreas Seidel has made to McLaren because I do think he's made a difference. So uh, I, I'm, I'm beginning to come round to your way of thinking, but there will still be people that will say it's not just her, the, the whole organisation, and there are people within it who clearly aren't either fit for purpose who are, or who aren't doing their jobs properly. And, it, and it's run by people who are called Williams. The people who aren't called Williams are the ones who lose their jobs. So the continuity is only people with the surname Williams. So they have the people with the surname Williams, and it's their toys, it's their train set, so they can do what they like with it. But if we're going to judge them against the other people who are around here, they're doing a terrible job. Mm-hmm. A terrible job. It's not like a bad job. It's a terrible job. This is, this, their performance this year is far worse than the joke teams of the 90s and the 2000s. Because the joke teams of the 90s had no money and had no decent drivers and had no nothing. And they and these have got... Sometimes didn't have a proper engine, as yeah. you said. At least the, the drivetrain here is the best. Two-thirds of things. They've got an engine, a decent engine, and decent drivers. So the two bits, they're actually, the bits they design themselves, which is the car, is the terrible bit. So every bit of that two and a half seconds, where it was at the start, even worse than that, the first is down to them. No external factors. And it's unforgivable because they've got the factory, they've got the... You know, it's not like designing it at the back of an Italian garage with some pasta money, like within the 90s. It's, 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 I think this is... I genuinely believe that this is the worst performance by a Formula 1 team in, let's say, since the narrow... Since 97. Since the modern era, in my mm. opinion. This is the worst performance and there is no excuse for it. It it would people will think that you're getting on at them, but we, it gives us no pleasure to say this. We've said not. this before. Williams is everybody's favourite team, second or at least team. everybody's second favourite team. Exactly what I was going to say. The the plucky outsiders, the you know the remnants of the privateer team, and nobody likes to say this. Uh, so uh, it's not like we're having a go. Um, it's we're having a go out of love in some respects and out of disappointment. Um, let's talk about the two drivers, Kubica. Um, Found out pretty quickly that um, he was plucky. It was great to see him back. It was a good PR story, but never got near uh, George Russell the, the whole season. No, I mean, it's very, very difficult to tell. George Russell is a very, very good driver. He won F2. He beat Alex Albon and Lando Norris quite convincingly. Um, he is very highly thought of by Mercedes. He went and did the Mercedes test at the end of the year and put in the fast. And it's put in the fastest time. I know it doesn't mean that much, but it doesn't mean he can do it. Um, he is a very good driver who we have absolutely no idea how good he is. Um, the only thing we know is he's better than Robert Kubica in 2019, who was obviously not as good as Robert Kubica was in 2011, 10, his accident. Mm. So that's all we know. That's all we've learnt this year is that George Russell is a much better driver, both qualifying racing than one-armed Robert Kubica. Yeah. Don't know anything else. Nothing yeah. else, you know. We can assume things, and from some of the performances we can put it, he put in particularly like qualifying in Hungary, and the fact he's kept it on the island for most of the races, and he's, you know, bat- battled them. And, uh, he is probably pretty good, but I don't know. I couldn't tell you. He, you know, I don't know whether you stuck him in the Mercedes, he'd be good as Valtteri tomorrow, or you stuck him in the racing point, he'd be as good as Sergio Perez, or you, you know, I've no idea. No one knows that. Um, I'm sure with the professionals in F1 can make guesses from traces and everything else, but you know he's he's done a year, he's learnt all the tracks. 
you know, he is in a bit of a situation now where you've got to kind of hope there is a, a, uh, you know, a quantum improvement in next year's car, so at least he can be battling to get out of Q1. And at least we can find out what sort of a driver he is. And mm. more importantly, people up and down the F1 pit lane yeah. can find out what a driver is. Because at the moment, as you say, nobody knows. Uh, let's move on to the ninth place team, Haas Ferrari. 28 yeah. points amassed for the American flag team. Yeah. Really, I... Step back a little bit, really, isn't it? Justin, uh, you know, this is a, a weird situation where they they never got on top of the tyres. They never got on top of the car. They they came out of the box reasonably well. Um, you know, the car was reasonably competitive um, in uh, in Australia. I think Kevin Magnussen got a top ten, and they were they there scored there ninety three points last year. Yeah. So you're talking about pretty much half the points. The problem was is that the actual Haas car with the Ferrari engine wasn't that bad a car in qualifying. Mm. You know, it qualified as well as most of the midfield teams. Kevin Magnussen often got into Q three. You know, they had the occasional bad weekend where they fall out in Q1. That's like, that's like most of the midfield, midfield teams. They have bad weekends. But they always went backwards in the race because they had this weird issue with the tyres where they were cooking the surface but not getting temperature into the, into the, into the carcass. And I, don't, I don't personally understand how it's possible for, with, with, with my understanding of physics, but they would literally kind of burn the top and not get heat inside, and they never got round it. Then they, they thought you know, it was mechanical, aerodynamical. They had the situation where they were running two different cars specs of the car, one of which was the spec they started the season with, even, what, three, four races from the end. Um, I think it really is a battle to try and not replicate the problems next year, because that's always the issue with the very, you know, very uh, standard the, the rules for next year, almost exactly the same as this year. So you don't want to go into next year with all the problems brought over from, from, from 2009. you haven't found out what they really were. And this point, and I, don't, they have any, they have, I don't think they, if you ask them now, if you ask, you know, what were the problems... Gunter Steiner wouldn't know, and that is the biggest issue. And it's interesting, actually, what happened is um, Gene Haas has been whinging for non-stop for the past three or four years about the inequality of F1, um, money and everything else. He's kind of shut up recently because he's realised that you can't really mind about inequality when you can't actually get your car to sort it out in the first place. You need to have a, a decent springboard to start moaning, uh, and that's a car which you actually get a handle on. But, you know, it was, it was effectively the, the car... I'd be very, very surprised whether they, you know, they overtook more than about five people in a race all season. They just went backwards. And, it's not, and that's no indication the drivers. It's just the car just didn't work in race trim. Uh, and because of the issue that they had trying to make the tyres work, that affected their strategies. And they therefore did odd things with tyre strategies. They tried to go long. That didn't work. They tried to go short. That didn't work. They tried different compounds of tyres. Frankly, that didn't really work either what of the two drivers then what have we learned if anything about the two Haas Ferrari drivers uh, this year well they can't work miracles I mean in the in the all the in, in the the entirety of the races after Germany so from the Hungarian Grand Prix so the race before the summer break they managed one point scoring finish between them mm. one ninth place because mm. the car was dreadful they couldn't get a handle it and of course everyone else was improving and they just got left behind Kevin um, Magnussen outscored his teammates yeah, I mean, twenty to eight. We should, by the way, say of of all the things we were talking about about Williams Mercedes, Robert Kubica was the w- one of the two drivers who scored the point in the crazy German race. Yeah. Yes, oh, absolutely. Yeah, you know, and, and, and none of the, I have nothing against Robert. I think Robert is a, is a just to go back on this one. Yes, he wasn't as quick as George, but he, did a, he was a shining example. It was a marvelous comeback story. He's a lovely guy. So yeah. I'm glad he got his chance, and hopefully he'll find a home in DTM, which will suit him a bit better. Yeah. Uh, let's go back to then Crosjean and Magnussen. Well, Magnussen was was 
was, I think, demonstrated to be the better of the two drivers for the second year in a row. Um, Grosjean had this kind of moaning situation again, which, again, is, is all part of the narrative of, of FOM, so it's hard to tell. Made more mistakes than Magnussen. Explain what you mean about that. Uh, right. Um, when you're watching, because this comes into the broadcasting. When you're watching a race, one of the key things about race is team radio. And, and team radio is very, very random in that there are probably... 200 messages for every message we hear across oh, yeah. all the teams. Yeah. So, But someone is listening. They've got guys and girls listening to all those messages and there's an editorial team deciding what message to put out. Now, some are obvious. You no, know, box, 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 or it's hammer time. Those, those are obvious, easy messages to put up. But the story, certainly when you So get, somebody puts their hand up in a truck and says, I've got a piece of audio from Kevin Magnussen. I think they've got little buttons they can press. Right, Everyone okay. put their hand up, I think. Okay. But, yeah, but, but the, yeah. the, 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 the principle the, is the something same. Something will happen, especially when they... And, and, you know, this is not just a racist quality. And, also, you know, and, and Roman Grosjean has been known to moan. Mm. Well, he's, been, he's been known to moan because that's the message we get. Oh, these guys with a beach. Uh, I can't drive these bricks. They're not good. We get that whole thing. And that's all you ever hear. You know, anyway, and I'm pretty, yeah, he might be moaning. He might, whatever he may be. But the fact I'm sure that he's no more moaning than somebody else when it's going wrong. But that's, that's, the, that's what they want to talk about. You know, much like the, the, the narrative you saw from Ferrari was all about Leclerc v. Vettel, Vettel Leclerc. The narrative but you it, get... It, it, people will say it's not good entertainment if Grosjean goes, this car's great, I, I, I'm yeah. loving it, it's brilliant. I'm just, you know, I'm just, I'm having a lovely time. I know. That's not a great message. Yes, that, but though, it's, is it? it's, it's the problem is if you, if you, if you design this story, you, right, that's my, the character of, is he's the moaning Frenchman. It's like, you know, the most common thing we hear is Lewis berating his team or moaning about his tyres or anything else which we, we've now everyone learned to alert it's just really a methodology of him spurring himself, himself on and, mm. and we go, oh he's such a weird he's not uh, and the, the thing is he, he, does people, do people think that before we had team radio guys said nothing you know and this is the problem is that people are saying hundred things but they, they, they design these stories they design these characters based on team radio which are disingenuous nothing you know affect the perception of people outside both, both well, within the like and reality outside. television it, it's not reality it's, exactly, it's produced yeah. exactly it's produced so the narrative is that Roman Grosjean was winching all year, uh, but he got uh, eight points to his teammate Kevin Magnussen's 20. Um, was Grosjean lucky to hang on yes. to that drive? Yeah, I think it's more... I think I think it came down to the fact that the, they didn't have someone to replace him with, so no one turned up with a large check. Um, so Thomas Hengel wasn't there. Um, but... Also, I think they got to the point where they, you know, they almost kind of felt, you know what, our problem isn't the drivers. Yeah. Our problem is we have no idea what this car is doing and why it's not working and why we can't get handle it. So the kind of way we can't really fire the drivers for something that's not their fault. Mm-hmm. And I think, and I, and I have to agree with that. Whilst Kevin coped better with the slings and arrows of outrageous fortune than, than Roman did, it wasn't either their fault. And they were both desperately trying to sort it out. But the team got lost. And drivers can only go. Uh, drivers can only do so much. What does the car do? Uh, yeah, this is it. Does it do that? Yes. Let's try that. Does it feel better? Yes. Oh no, we cut the tires again. Mm. It's it's this fundamental design flaw or development flaw that must be very worrying for them. So just twenty eight points for Haas. Uh, about a third, in fact. I've just looked at the last year's. Uh, Results about a third of the points that they got last year, uh, that put them behind. Fifty-seven points was the next one up, uh, and that was Alpha Romeo Racing Ferrari, who will be Alpha Centuri next year. <laughs> no, that's somebody else, isn't it? No, Alpha Romeo stays Alpha Romeo. Uh, Alpha Romeo Racing Ferrari, eighth position, fifty-seven points. Well, I like the colour scheme. I yes. thought there could have been a bit more dark red on it when I first saw it, but over the season, I got to. Uh, I, I thought it was distinctive 
uh, enough. Uh, Ant- Antonio Giovanazzi, or Giovanazzi, uh, 14 points for him. And his teammate, Kimi Raikkonen, first year in the team for him, 43 points. Very. Let's take Kimi first, because he was higher up the standings, 12th position. Very much depends always which Kimi turns up to a race. When the right Kimi turned up, he proved that he was still the right Kimi. Yeah, I mean, he, he did a pretty good job, really. I mean, he scored... I mean, it's interesting. He scored nine times in the, in the, before the summer break and just once after the summer break. So it was, a, again, a team that sort of faded down, even though Giovinazzi got his best results in the second half of the season. But the development wasn't as as fast as the other cars. Um, Raikkonen made the most of the early, the, the early season pace. Giovinazzi was took longer to get going and made a couple more rather blatantly silly mistakes. Um, no, Raikkonen put in a very, very good run. I mean, you know, he, he scored the points. You, you sit there going, oh, you know, he's taking the space of a of a rookie or a youngster. But then would he a rookie or youngster have managed to get that many points for Alfa Romeo Racing? I don't know. Whether he, whether he needs to be there now is a question, but it is a two-year contract. So, um He's going to get another year, you know, eating ice creams internationally. But, you know, he didn't... I think the thing what I say about Raikkonen is why he scored points and occasionally got the thing in, in, in P3. He didn't redo anything. I can't remember anything he did this year. Q3, yeah. I couldn't, uh, didn't redo anything. It's not like... Well, I can't remember Giovinazzi falling off the track a couple of times. Mm. Um, Giovinazzi, the only thing I'd say about him was it's it, he's got another year. I think, again, because there was no one else that Ferrari could place... Who was better, for, Michael for, Schumacher? Sorry, um, Mick Schumacher. Mick Schumacher didn't come on as quickly as they thought, um, so they've 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 given Giovinazzi another year. But Giovinazzi's he's all right. Is he start already beginning to win? He was meant to be the Wayne next big thing. Wayne before he joined after his rather poor three races in Sauber a couple of years ago, he came in. He's all right. You know, he's obviously he's actually obviously. Let's get this right. When I say all right, he's a brilliant racing driver because nobody gets to Formula yeah. One who's rubbish. Exactly, but. In this company, he's all right, and he's definitely not as good as the three rookies we had this year. And even though he's a partial rookie, the other three guys are head and shoulders better than him. Mm. So, and I don't, I don't really see his age. We're going to see a sudden kick on in season two point one. But what about Raikkonen? And then one more season for him. Um, might we see a pickup in his form? Is the car able to do that? You know, how do you assess the team? Going forward, I mean, it's very much been. I mean, there's no doubt that that is is now identifying as the Ferrari Junior team in the same way that Squadra Toro Rosso is oh, for significantly Red, Red Bull. less. Significantly less. You think less than yeah, Toro Rosso? Uh, it's a it's a place to park a driver or two, and it's a place to give some cash. But I I don't think the level of cooperation is even. Twenty-five percent of what it is between really? Toro Rosso and, and Red Bull. No, it's it's a uh, it's better than the satellite team, but certainly not a partner team. Right, right, okay. Uh, Racing Point BWT Mercedes mm-hmm. seventh position, uh, seventy-three points. And this is what we were talking about. All pretty pretty close. If you forget Williams and to a certain extent, unfortunately Haas, you've got fifty-seven, seventy-three, eighty-five, ninety-one. That takes you all the way up to to fifth position. Uh, seventh position is Racing Point BWT Mercedes, uh, which we all, I'm sure, at some stage during the year called Force India. Um, <laughs> well, they weren't Racing Point less mid mid table. I'm in amongst that mid pack, but yeah. didn't didn't really break out of that. 
No, and I think, I think, you know, it, it's an interesting situation. The, the, just to give you an idea, or, or to, to flip side Kimi Raikkonen and Sergio Perez, the team leaders of both, uh, Perez scored in every race bar one after summer break, and Kimi Raikkonen scored in one race after summer break. Which just goes to show how development works, how teams... Uh, yeah, racing point one of the car... T- and and finished up with 11, only, uh, only um, nine points more than Kimi did. Yeah, because basically Racing Point didn't, have a great car out of the box. They managed to get a couple of results early on thanks to reliability. They had a big barren period after that. And they were very much fighting with one, one arm behind their back because Lance Stroll is, of the 20 drivers, by far the worst qualifier. Um, and unfortunately, he's actually not by far the worst racer. He's actually a very good race driver. He should really go into endurance racing where it doesn't really matter about qualifying because he's a very good race driver. Doesn't make many mistakes. Gains positions, mainly because he's qualified out of position. Um, but his qualifying, which is so important in F1, is you know is is, is holding him back massively, and and that you know, that that's a fact. It doesn't help obviously when he's run into by um, uh, Sebastian Vettel either. But whereas Sergio Perez is 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 effectively Mr. Consistency in the midfield. You want a man who's going to get the car where it can go, and perhaps one place above that, especially in in a tire limited race. Um, Sergio's the guy, and he had was, very- Sir, was Sergio slightly unlucky to be dumped by McLaren when he was uh, circumstances, and and he hadn't had a great year. But but I always thought there was more to come from Sergio, and I wonder what he would be like now in a better team. That's a really good point. I mean, he only got that year. Was it two thousand eleven or two thousand? Yeah, you know, it was the year. It was a year. Whatever year it was, it was the year when Lewis left, and before Alonso came, I think, wasn't it? Yeah. So, um, what have I gone? I'm out of shot, I know. But the fact is, you know, it's a situation where, you know, he got that year off the back of a decent run in Sauber. Again, a front-running midfield team, as they were in those days, Sauber. Uh, the jump up to McLaren wasn't easy. McLaren was in an absolute mess. It was mm. the whole of the Whitmarsh, Dennis, disappearing on their own backside, you know, the start of the spiral down, really. Um, and he was kind of, didn't gel, and they just, you know, they, they, they had a chance to pick up a, a world-famous driver, and they did. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's it's a, it was a difficult situation. He then found himself, you know, thanks to Mexican backing into into the as it was Force India there and Racing Point. He's made himself a home, and he's, and he's always he's, he's somebody who you you would not not want in your midfield team. You know, if, you, if you're making a midfield team list for midfield teamers, he's probably the first name on the midfield team sheet as such. You know, because he can he will get he will do what the car needs to do. Would he be a good second driver in one of the better teams? No, I don't think he's got the spark. I don't Too think nice? No, I just, just think, you know, like, like a lot, you know, it's that whole thing about, you know, good and great. And I think he's a very good driver, very consistent driver, but I don't think you stick him in on the top three teams, you get an awful lot more about him twice. Let's move to Scuderia, Toro, Rosso, Honda, sixth position, 85 points or eight further up the standings than Racing Point. Uh, there, uh, two drivers, uh, Pierre Gasly, Frenchman, 95 points. And the second driver there, uh, Daniel Kvyat, 37 points. Uh, well, that's how it finished the season, of course, wasn't it? Mm. Um, and what do we say about th- that team and those two? Well, I think, you know, first of all, it's uh, Daniel Kvyat, who was, you know, again, this this well, it keeps coming up, this, this dearth of the... 
organised and well, theoretically well-run junior teams, not having anyone to replace anybody with, much as Ferrari got no one to replace Giovinazzi with, uh, Red Bull have disappeared up their own backside with, with just not having a, the, the, the stream of talent. They threw away some good guys and then and then they had to re-employ people. So they ended up having two drivers who started the season who both been previously sacked from the programme. Mm. Alex Albon, who got the job very, very late um, after even having signed for Formula E with um, Nissan. And Danny Kivyat, who came back after being sacked halfway through the previous but one season replaced by Furious by Brendan Hartley and Brendan had it for the whole season and then Danny was back after a year simulator driving for Ferrari mm. um, which was a surprising thing but you know Danny's been solid he's not been outstanding I mean again on the baseline they're all brilliant he's not been outstanding he's, he's done a, a few good things he's certainly not He's certainly not disappeared as he did towards the end of his previous incarnation. So he's been much stronger mentally, I think. And it's hard to really work out where the car was. He was, he, you know, he was better than uh, Albon, but Albon was actually a complete rookie in his first half of the season. Albon got the, the nod to move up. When Gasly came back, Gasly was better than than Kvyat in the second half of the season. So, you know, he's he's done a solid run, and due to the fact he's been solid and they have no one else to replace him. He's got another run uh, in what was a reasonably good car. One of the, 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 the interesting about Rosso was it was able to be good all season. It had a couple of bad races, but it was solid all season. It didn't it didn't shine, but it didn't flummox either. So that's, that's the opposite of shining. Didn't dull either. So it was a it was a it was a good car. It was a nice car because you you, know, you, were, you turn up most weekends with a chance of getting something done. Some weekends didn't work. Some weekends were better. Obviously, they 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 both did well in in Germany in the chaos race. Um, I'm just never sure about Danny Kvyat, if I'm honest. Um, I, I just think maybe he's had his chance now, 37 points this year, when Pierre Gasly came in and scored 95. Yeah, but Gasly got a lot of those ripple. Oh, yes, good point. Of course he did, yes. Good point. But, but, Ga- but then again, I, I, the interest for me about... Toro Rosso is I've got two drivers who I kind of think have had their opportunity and are moving down mm. rather than the junior team being somewhere for, yeah. for, for, for talent coming up. Yeah, I think we'll, we'll, we'll talk about Albon more on the Red Bull part um, and we'll talk about Gasly now. Mm. So Gasly right. obviously had an absolute nightmare in the first half of the season with Red Bull. He, he, he got Verstappen basically. He moved into a team that was Verstappen. He had accidents. He, he started off with accidents in testing, couldn't get the mileage, just couldn't get on handle on the car and it's a very unforgiving situation, Red Bull, when things aren't going well as we know. It's it's and there's no, there's no slack cut. And don't forget, um when he got the gig last year, Christian Horner said it was a year early and they wanted it because yeah. they were surprised Ricardo had left. So you know, he was in a high nothing and he got nothing and he got he got swamped by the whole situation. It was obvious. He just got more and more inside himself. You know, you get no because you know, there's no one putting an arm around him back in uh, in Red Bull. And he got swapped out, uh, and then he came back to Toro Rosso with effectively eight races to to save his career and he's done a really good job. Suddenly he's relaxed, he can, he can drive naturally, he's not feeling the pressure. Well and he's he scored a great deal of good results, including a second place overall in Brazil. And ninety-five points he scores on the season to finish seventh. Alexander Olbern eighth on ninety-two points when they did the swap part of the way around. And by the way, Danny Rick um, only fifty-four points, albeit for Renault, uh, of of which more obviously uh, later. So yeah, we will talk about Alex Albon later on. But I thought Gasly actually his head didn't go. Could have gone, didn't mm-hmm. go, and and. 
And whilst I do think that perhaps his chance has gone to a certain extent, what impressed me was the fact that he just got on with I it. Think, I think he has damaged his reputation with the top three teams. But I think in many ways what's happened in the second half team is he's enhanced his reputation with every other team. Interesting. Um, he just didn't thrive under the spotlight of Red Bull. And you kind of think, well, that's, he's not going to thrive under the spotlight of Ferrari. He's not going to thrive under the spotlight of Mercedes. But if you haven't got that spotlight, he's put in some excellent performances consistently and at a point, and you made the point absolutely there, John, where his head could have dropped, he could have done, oh, woe is me. He flipped it around and thank goodness, and off he went. How much of that, though, Nick? I mean, we can't know, so we're going to speculate on this, and I'm going to ask you to speculate on this. (laughs) How much of that could have been down to the fact that he's in Red Bull, it's Max Verstappen's team, and everything runs around Max. He drops back to Toro Rosso, and it's not Giviat's team. It wasn't Albon's team. It's just kind of a team. It's a midfield team. They're doing their best to get both cars as far up the order as they can. And that's a very different mindset. Yeah, I mean, I think a guy who's got a year's experience coming up against Max Verstappen, who is, you know, whatever you think about him, one of the fastest drivers of, of recent times. But it's not about his pace. It's and, about how the team's organised. That's my And point. also the, number, the undisputed number one driver mm. um, who's had the car designed around his, his, his wants and likes and needs. It's a very hard situation, especially when, you know, you... you, you the other thing to remember is, is that the Red Bull wasn't that good out of the box anyway. Mm. So you were fighting against a car which, you know, is is, is difficult. Um, I, I don't think... I don't think... I think Verstappen was on the limit in the early part of the season yeah, because he wasn't getting the car he wanted. And that must have made, meant things in that garage full stop difficult. And for a, a relatively inexperienced driver coming into that... I mean, you know, they tell you, keep your head down, do your work. But that's a tough game. Yeah, let's just, let's just run, we're not wishing to jump things, but Verstappen's opening salvo was very if very good, but it was third, fourth, 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 third, fourth, fifth, fourth. So he didn't get either a first or a second until 10, 11 race in, and that was down to, you know, mainly the car, but not being quite there. And, you know, then you've got a car's not quite there, you've got the pressure, and, it, and that's how it goes. And the car significantly improved around the time of the... Uh, summer break just a bit before and then onwards but I think they, they sorted out in Austria didn't they found some, mm. some, some work with the front wing or something um, but you know I think I think Gazi has been unlucky but of course you need to you need to grab your opportunities when they come I think he's grabbed his second chance and I think he'll be fine you know, I'm, I, I expect to have a good year next year and then he'll have to decide whether he gets goes somewhere else and stays with the Torosso again now don't don't react when I say what I'm going to say let's move up to fifth position so into the top half of the constructor standings for the 2019 FIA Formula One Championship. Renault, the last of the proper midfield teams this year, I think. And, and I'll, 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 I'll wait for a moment. 91 points as opposed to 85. The reason I say that is the next jump is to McLaren-Renault, which is 50 points and more. And, uh, and all right, it's not, it's not huge, I understand. But what's the next jump? Oh, yeah. 300 points. Yeah, they, they, they aren't. This, that is just McLaren doing, doing good midfield. Right, <laughs> OK. Uh, so, Renault, uh, the only engine manufacturer to have two teams in the top half of the Constructor cha- Championship are Renault. Unfortunately for them, for they were fifth and fourth. The works team then, uh, in fifth position, outscored by uh, one of their customers, considerably. A customer, by the way, that they're not 
holding on to, of course. Uh, so, Renault, first of all, the car, before we talk about the two drivers. Not good. I think I say, I say not good. Not good against their own standards. They wanted to be. They, they were fourth last year, and they wanted to pick, kick on. And and I don't think they expected to catch up Red Bull or the third place top. But they expected. Yes, you've just said they've got a hundred points there or thereabouts, and Red Bull have got four hundred points there or thereabouts. Mm-hmm. They probably would like to see themselves in the two fifty level. Kick on, you know, half that gap basically, and so, being the fourth place team. Fourth place by a country mile. Yeah, we're realists about how fast you can improve cars in in F1. It's a massive business now. You can't just the brawn, the one-off brawn things ain't going to happen anymore because it's legislated out. But the fact is, you can go a little bit up, and they they must. That's where they wanted to be, and instead they've designed a car that just really wasn't very good. I mean, again, it's not one which had a particular issue. It wasn't particularly bad on tyres. It wasn't particularly low on power. It wasn't particularly this or that. It just didn't work brilliantly in a lot of places, and they 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 worked on it quite hard. They had two very good drivers in uh, in Danny Rick and uh, uh, Nico Hulkenberg. They Hulkenberg thirty seven points netted him fourteenth position in the championship, uh, fifty two points only for Danny Rick. Check that's fifty four points, excuse me, but that put him all the way up in ninth position um, with a, a lot of drivers between them, obviously. Um, Two good drivers who, on their day, are both good racers in particular. We know how much everybody likes to talk about uh, Danny, uh, Daniel Ricciardo's uh, overtaking. it. Lick it and send it. Uh, but Hulkenberg can be uh, a bit of a brute as well, and I quite like watching Nico drive. I know Nico a bit better than I do Daniel, obviously, because of his sports car uh, exploits. But... I, think Hulkenberg- I don't think they'll be happy, will they? No, very unhappy. Very unhappy. Um, I think Hulkenberg will be particularly unhappy because he's ended up losing his job. But, you know, for all the... Yeah, he's really, he, he, and he is a lovely bloke and he's done really well. He's been, he's been running in F1 League 10 years. He hasn't got a podium. Some of that's bad luck. Some of that's accidents. And you kind of think... Yeah, I mean, they think, oh, it's terrible he's not going to drive. Well, who would, you, who, would you, who would you kick out and replace with Hulkenberg with, with no... You know, apart from Nicholas Latifi, but Nicholas Latifi's in there for cash, and Lawrence Str- and Lance Stroll is in there because his dad owns the team. Kvyat. Again, it's you say scored that, the same number of points. Yeah, you know, well, Kvyat scored the same number of points with a worse, with a theoretically worse car, whether it was or not. So you kind of go, well, Nico, you've had you've had your time. I'm much, much as I would have no problem with him being in in the field next year. You kind of think, well, Esteban Ocon's got to be a decent bet for being a little bit better. And sometimes you've got to get, you know, you've got to expect to accumulate. Uh, Danny Ricciardo obviously uh, knew it wasn't going to be as good as Red Bull, didn't know it was going to be this bad, but he has got a lovely big check. And he hasn't had to sit there and listen to how marvellous Max is every day from Christie, which must be worth a few quid. Mm. Um, Ricciardo, Ricciardo, what Danny has managed to do, though, in fairness, he's managed to have a really poor season and not affect his reputation. He's ma- we've all got Yeah, but that's his first Renault. year. It's all Renault. Yeah, it's all Renault. It's but fine. next year, he's, surely it's got to get better for Renault and for Danny Rick. Well, the thing is, it's very, very unlikely... He's absolutely the team leader next year. Yeah, and, and, by the way, and he's now, and you kind of think, well, let's let's see where does, where does Danny go at the end of his two year contract? And the answer is, well, where? You know, he's not going to go to Mercedes. I suppose he could go to Ferrari, but it's very, very unlikely. Uh, he's not going to go back to Red Bull. So you kind of go, well, he is now a a team leader in the midfield for large amounts of cash. That's what he does now. Mm. He's not going to be world champion unless something remarkably strange happens. Um, lovely bloke, you know, he's, he's maximised his earning potential. So whether he perhaps has maximised his points scoring potential. Fourth position then, as we mentioned, 91 for Renault in fifth, 145 for McLaren, 
Renault in fourth. Still not a banner McLaren season, but thank goodness I don't have to say again <laughs> in one of these review programmes. What an awful year for McLaren. Is this, this is this the first time in six you've been able to say they've gone up? Well, <laughs> I mean, we, we've, we've tried to say it can't be as bad next year as it has been for McLaren this year. And for the last five seasons, that has been the case. Now, it's taken some time. They moved to the Renault uh, engine. But for me, and I said this before, for me, um, the biggest change this year uh, has been in the team management yeah, side of things. I think I, I agree with you. Obviously, Andrew Seidel and James Key have joined. But of course, the car was designed by completely different people. They weren't well. involved in the team at that point. Now, I think what happened was losing Alonso gives takes the focus of the team away from placating its prima donna and into actually That's what we can point. do to run the team. Good point. You stop that internal constant need to you know, make sure Fernando's okay. And I'm not saying it's actually something that Fernando makes happen. It's that subconscious way that you've got this kind of talisman figure you must you know, you know rub the genie effectively to do something about. So, so, you, so you pick up Carlos Sainz, who is a good driver, um, I think people he's a knew, better driver than people give him credit for. I really do. He had a particularly good time at Renault, but that's he wasn't particularly bad, wasn't particularly good. You know, we all remember when he was teamed against Max Verstappen, who, of course, they hated each other, mm-hmm. which is the reason he got dropped from the Red Bull program, mm-hmm. um, he wasn't that far off. No. You know, I think if you actually analysed it, he was probably a bit more consistent in those days, been a bit more mature, but the, in fairness to Max, the standout individual results belonged to Max, whereas the, perhaps the consistency belonged to Carlos. And Carlos had this kind of disappearing down to uh, Renault for a bit. They didn't keep him very long, and he turned up at McLaren, and we all went, well, come, yeah, not sure, but he's been, you know, he's been great. Then Lando turns up. Lando had an absolutely... Poor, not absolutely, that's a terrible English. Lando had a very much underwhelming F2 programme, which we all thought he was going to win. He won the first round in Bahrain and it disappeared. Now, some of it was down to the team, some of it was down to him, and the fact that basically he didn't really like the F2 cars very much. And, and it's an interesting situation. You do get drivers who actually find F1 cars they absolutely love, much as you find drivers who, who, who've done brilliant, stellar junior careers and never get on. Like, I mean, example, Stoffel van Dorm, though, again, when we're talking about McLaren, who knows what's mm. going on there. So you had two drivers who, who then they cause they form this little little instant partnership of love, which is fine when you're on the way up. But let's see how well that lasts. Forty nine points for Norris, eleventh position in the championship, yeah. sixth position for Sainz, with almost twice as many points as his teammate, ninety six points. Uh, very much the best of the rest. He was one point ahead of Pierre Gasly, but at least he was uh, ahead also of uh, Red Bull uh, driver Alex Albon. So he gets the dubious. Uh, epithet on the season that he is the sixth best driver in a world championship that and really has first, and he's the first driver to get sixth who wasn't in the top three teams for about four several years that was the I point th- I was about to make in the turbo hydro era but I mean no Carlos Sanz has driven brilliantly he's had some bad luck um Engine-wise and, and breakdown-wise, as the Renaults weren't as reliable as they should have been. Norris had a really, really... Well, he really had Danny Rick's look. Yeah. Danny Rick <laughs> had terrible look at Renault. And Carlos Sainz, if it was going to break, it was his that yeah, was going but, to break. But, and then, but the back end of the season sorted out. Lando Norris uh, also had a good season. He he especially good qualifying, and which is a, something really bad. Think of it, in modern F1, being a great qualifier is half the job. He's, he, he, and his race craft improved dramatically. Basically, what happened was he, he, he at the start he wasn't getting his elbows out enough. 
And now he's getting his elbow out. Who, Lando? Lando. Unusual for him as well, <laughs> actually, when you look at his junior career. I know. But he's, and he's really come along. And, and, and if you kind of, you know, he'd be out quite, uh, but, and he's matched Carlos Sainz, who's what, his fourth season, in his first season. So that all, that all bears well for both of them moving forward. We mentioned Andreas Seidel, James Key, and, and the changes behind the scenes at McLaren. Now, people are going to say, of course, Heinoff's going to tout Seidel's name because he came from Porsche. But actually, the the experience that was important from Andreas Seidel came from before he was at Porsche, when he was at BMW F1. Mm. And he did an awful lot of good at BMW. WF1 and he brought an awful lot of his people from BMW F1 into and to, much to the chagrin of other people working at Visac, uh, and which ended up in a punch up in the in the cafeteria uh, if <laughs> the rumour is, is I heard it's Christmas party punch up well I'm, I'm sure it was something like that uh, at Visac between the former BMW F1 employees and the long time Visac uh, Porsche Motorsport employees however Andreas Seidel knows which way is up um, he, I thought they were pretty good at reading the tactics and the strategy, particularly when things changed. They made decisions quite quickly, which you can't say for other teams up and down the pit lane. Maybe that did come out of what's been, you know, working in endurance racing. But McLaren, still bereft really of a major sponsor. That's the only thing they're missing now. They're on the upswing a little bit. They've got two good young drivers that they could build on for a number of years. They've got a backroom squad that seems now to have settled. Uh, They've got, all right, they've got the upheaval of a new engine coming shortly. At least that works. but, (laughs) But they've got one now that's already delivered for them. They've worked on the car. They're moving back in the right direction. Yeah, and I think I think what really kind of happened this year, and I think the difference was this year, is they stopped thinking they were a top team. And they actually realised they were a team who needed to improve. And they stopped living, hey, we're McLaren, we can't be not, we are not, we've got Fernando Alonso, you're still rubbish. Mm. You know, and they stopped that. They, 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 the whole ridiculous thing two years ago when Honda was, was not very good, going, we've got the best chassis in the grid. And then, of course, when they had to design their own chassis with the Renault engine, it was even worse because they hadn't. And, and, and they were living in this arrogance, very Dennis-esque arrogance, to be honest. Um, Which was actually entirely and totally suboptimal. <laughs> exactly, yeah. And, and they kind of recognised they needed to improve and they needed to move forward. And, yeah, I think it's, you know, and Zach Brown, you know, whether, you, whether or not you think he's managed to do what he's supposed to do, which is bring top... Um, sponsors on board you could go mm, perhaps not but he's certainly managed to bring top talent on board he's managed to actually work out point. what was wrong um, you know whilst I think his I think possibly his commercial savvy is why they've desperately clung to Fernando for so long because he knows that's what buys in the column inches yeah but but what what you might say now is you know up until up until relatively recently Zach hasn't had very much to sell has he let's be honest He's, it's a, it was a back-of-the-field team. A, not even a midfield team. A back-of-the-field team. Where Williams are now is the is the issue that Zach had. He didn't really have much to sell. Had no issue, by the way, covering the IndyCar with Alonso, with sponsorship. No problem at all. So, Smaller numbers. Hmm? Smaller numbers involved. Well, well, absolutely true. Absolutely true. And, and only a one-off and only a big race. Absolutely true. But at least he's got something to work with now, Nick. They're the fourth best team in terms of constructors' points. They'll take a whack of 
of money out of the fact that they've now scored more points than they have done in probably the last three years put well, together. They'll, they'll get, now, I can't remember what it is, I think ninth to fourth is at least 30 million yeah. dollars, uh, the yeah. price one. Uh, and, all right, in Formula One terms, that's not a lot. Mm, it's, it's a lot when it's your operating budget because there's an underlying budget they've all got and this extra this extra stuff is is all for you know fun things like their new simulator and everything else and don't forget it's absolutely vital you have as much money as possible for next year because it's the last year you can spend like water mm. there's going to be an awful lot of infrastructure products projects started next year with money put aside to pay for them so you're going to see no end of new wind tunnels and simulators and pentaflop computers because it's the and last what? pentaflop computers. Ah. It's the last time this year they can buy them with impunity. Whereas impunity. Course, impunity. Thank you very much. I don't know what an extra syllable there for. Um, because well, it's it, because it's the last year you can get that exactly. syllable. Exactly. I'm in. paying that syllable. That's not even interest because in the following year you're out of the cost cap and all those things are covered. So there's going to be a lot of spending, a lot of money put aside for big capital projects from the F1 teams who've got the cash. So having the cash is pretty damn good. McLaren Renault then, fourth position. Let's move on to the top three as Nick Damon and John Hindorf are looking at the 2019 Formula One, the FIA Formula One World Championship. Uh, Red Bull Racing Honda, 417 yes. points, um, ultimately over 300 points away from Mercedes who won, pretty much 200, uh, 100 points away from Ferrari who were second. That's not the year and and first of all let's just get this right red bull aren't the little team they aren't the little team who can they they are the biggest spender in formula 1 and probably outspend any other two teams put together and third place for them and a distant third place not good enough now was it the car was it the honda engine uh, because they were not backwards and coming forwards about criticizing their previous uh, engine supplier um, was it their strategy? Was it their drivers? Or was it a combination of all of the above? No, it wasn't a combination of all of the above. Um, the reason they are so far behind in the Constructors' Championship is down to mainly one thing, and that's their second driver. Um, obviously, the two of them, uh, Gasly and Albon, nothing... Well, Gasly, you could go, hmm, nothing against Albon. He was thrown... As, uh, it couldn't be a deeper than he was thrown into after having done 12 races. And despite having a really action-packed time, he managed to get the point, you know, you know throwing it off in Didn't he outscore Verstappen yeah. since Stappen, he came in the team? Verstappen p- blew up. Had some problems and crashes and everything else. But he threw it off in Sochi and then drove back to sixth. Again, this driving back to sixth is not quite as impressive as it used to be because that's where you should be as long as you can overtake. But Albon did pretty pretty well with his second half of the season. You know, he got a, um, you know, fifth, fifth, sixth, fourth, fifth, sixth, and one non-finish in Brazil. So it was a, it was a pretty good, he solid. was on for a decent finish it in was, Brazil. Yeah, it was. That's what I think happened to him. Um, he was on for second or third. You're absolutely right. Sorry, John, I forgot about that. So, yeah, he did a, he did a solid job. Um, but nothing spectacular. Gasly th- hemorrhaged points uh, in this early season we've already alluded to when the car wasn't brilliant. So if you take the three elements, take the drivers, the car, and the chassis, the engine actually outperformed anything we thought it would do. It was very reliable. I think they only had one in-race failure. They did have to do more change than others. They had a couple of times they had to take penalties, but they chose to do those at the races when they were easy to overtake, and they went back to this worst-you-can-be-as-fifth-and-sixth situation. I think they got a bit of luck with other cars and finished third or something else. So the engine was good. I mean, Honda really did a very, very good job for both teams. Both teams did very well. They didn't. They, they did a little bit of engine churn, but that's fine. They can eliminate that. Power seemed fine. Again, they looked good at the altitude. Um, 
So, how much better is it for both the Red Bull teams that they are both using the same engine now? Well, it makes things an awful lot easier, and you can and you can obviously you can you can cross compare. You can talk about mapping between in total openness. You know all those little things you might 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 try and hide from a fellow engine user. You're not going to, are you? You're going to be you're going to work together to improve drivability because it's a similar situation. They're going to, going to work together to improve the way they, and talk about fuel consumption. You know, all those sort of things you'll be looking at. And obviously the engine will be, be slightly packaged slightly differently. We have slight cooling regulations. There's a lot of work you can do together that helps. Also the other thing you can do is that, you know if 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 for example Honda had a slightly dodgy, slightly well, risky spec, they can bang it on the Toro and see if it works first. Mm. So there's an, there is a lot of ability to, to to manipulate, but I think the Honda team, you know, Honda did very very well, got three wins out of it. You know, there's all sorts of conversation about engines, about who's best, who's worst, who's legal. Um, obviously, what has happened is it's much much closer between the four engines as it was, and Honda are in the mix, and there's nothing to think that they won't continue to improve next year. Big change in attitude. And the words that we heard from Christian Horner. Yeah, well, he was—he knew he'd shot himself with a blunderbuss in the feet with every other engine manufacturer, so he couldn't redo really it again. And they gave him no reason to. You know, they had a little bit, always a little bit down on power. And then, then by the end of the game, well, it wasn't down on power, but it was fine. And they, and they got qualifying modes, uh, whether they're quite as aggressive as Ferraris. You know, I'm not quite sure they were dripping oil in through the intercooler. Of which uh, oil because later. they couldn't. Um, you know, and I think I think you know, you, at some point, even Christian Horner and um, and Helmut Marko have to actually finally start stop blaming other people and, and look to themselves. And they did look to themselves. They said they fired Gasly, uh, and they have said openly now the season's finished that the car wasn't working properly to begin with, and they had some chassis issues initially. So they admit there were chassis problems, there were driver problems, there were one half of the driver problems, and there were engine problems. And the shining light was probably was Max Verstappen, I think. Many people wonder why we talk so much and why having a good second driver is so important. And having a second driver who knows his place and does the job of a second driver. With Red Bull Racing Honda this year, it's a perfect example of what happens when you don't. They should have been challenging for the Manufacturer Championship. In Max Verstappen, you've got an absolute challenger for the World Championship and he outscored the two Ferrari drivers and yet they're still sitting behind Ferrari in the World um, Championship. It's a really good point you make there. We look at the top three teams. we got one team without a second driver, effectively, Red Bull. Yeah. you got one team who couldn't decide who the second driver was. In Ferrari. And one team with the perfect second driver. In Valtteri Bottas. Who occasionally can beat the, the main driver, but on the whole doesn't. And never gets in the way, and they don't hit each other. You know, and that is, that is you know, really what it comes down to. Actually, that's pretty basic stuff, isn't it? But, but actually, when you put it like that, it's really sensible. You know, that's, that's, that's what it is. It's, that's how you run a two-man team. You can't, I think, having a complete doofus as Brabham used to have a second driver doesn't work anymore because it is so much more corporate and the constructor trophy is so much more important. So you need to try and do it. But the other thing to remember is also it's very good to have two drivers who are pretty good because it opens up your strategic opportunities once you're in the race. And if Red Bull were in the front of the race and they have they got Verstappen trolling around in second and then the other guys in sixth, there's nothing they can do. 
Yeah. He's on his own strategically wise. Yeah. They can be undercut and overcut and everything else. So you need to have that second drive. The second driver needs to be about five hundredths of a second of lap slur at most. Just enough to make the first driver feel happy, but also keep him on his toes and also be there and thereabouts when he needs to be most of the time. Max Verstappen, over 100 Grand Prix under mm. his belt now. He's not the kid anymore. Were there signs of a more mature Max this I think, year? I think, I think you know, he had an absolutely standout season. He did a really, really good job. I think you, you, you look at the drivers and everyone would universally say the best two drivers over the course of the season were Lewis Hamilton and, and Max Verstappen. Verstappen won three races. He was incredibly solid. I think, you know, he up until the summer break, he was pretty much flawless in doing what he could do with what he had. You know, his bad results were like when he got round at the backside by, by, by Sebastian and also the start of the season when the car was pretty ropey, but he still managed to beat mm. some of the other cars. Obviously, in Belgium, he um, crashed with um, Raikkonen and, 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 and whilst the Max apologist seemed to want to make out it's Raikkonen's fault, not as I was looking at it. Um, he had a problem in, in Italy as well with an accident and, you know, he was taken off the track, not his fault at all by Leclerc in Japan. The unforgivable moment is Mexico. Mexico, what well, is- and, that, and that is where, and why I ask you that question is, you get flashes of maturity from Max and you think, oh, that's much better. I'm warming to him now. He's not the petulant kid. <laughs> oh, no, hang on a second. No, what am I seeing? What am I seeing? Yeah, I mean, he'd- and by the way, I'm going to say this again. Him seeing that he never lifted off in that press conference had nothing to do with him losing pole position. No, they were just analysing it. They had to. It's obvious anyway. Um, yeah, and he, and he moaned about, and he, and he throws out some shade by moaning about um, Hamilton at the same time, and Hamilton was two seconds behind Bottas, and so there was no even time to raise a flag at that time. He still lifted off a little bit. Mm. It was just ridiculous arrogance, and, and he's probably riding away with confidence, and often happens when young men ride away with confidence, and he is a young man, he's a very, you know, he's, he's whatever his lump, he's 22, so whatever, he made 100 Grand Prix, but he's still 22, so he's got plenty of time. And then, of course, he backed it up by having accidents in the race as well and, and it was just kind of a, a bad weekend where he should have won and he kind of threw it away so his second half of the season that had some standout results like Brazil for example but you know he's, but then again you know, he doesn't need to be the finished article he's, he's made a major step this year um, the one thing I do say and I've said this before and I don't want to get too boring but when everyone says oh he's done he's better than Lewis or anything else he's done the whole thing with no pressure hmm. Um, it's very different to trying to win a world championship than trying to win a couple of races. Mm-hmm. And that's really where you get the measure of a racing driver, whether they can put together a stream under the intense when, pressure and scrutiny of being a world champion. When, when, when do you think that pressure has to hit? When do you think Red Bull say, right, we've got to have a world champion now. It's been a while. And all right, there's been some rebuilding, there's been some turmoil within Red Bull itself, but Max has been there for a wee while now, it's a more settled team, and surely at some stage, Christian Horner and Helmut Mark have got to say, mate, you've got to start winning races on a regular basis. There's very little change between this year and next year. The early problems that um, Red Bull had were mostly related around getting the tyres to work with the aero package they had they changed the package got the tires to work the tires are the same next year now i know people bring out new cars but these new cars will absolutely be you know sharpened razor blades of this year's car no one's going to start i think possibly only has need to start with a clean piece of um, williams who already have said mm. they've started a clean piece of paper yeah. the others just need to improve what they've got mm. so theoretically they shouldn't start on the back foot 
therefore they can mount a challenge. The engine is fine, we know that. The the handicap the engine gave them this year was, I think, one or two extra engines, which they could probably chose the second one because they wanted a fresh engine for Suzuka, which didn't work because he's punted off. So they haven't got, the truck, en- they've yeah. got no engine issue. They've got no driver issue. They should have no chassis issue. Operationally, you know, Red Bull are all, nearly always the fastest of the people uh, in the pit stops. They're the pit stop fastest, and they tend to be the ones who seem to do the most innovative and clever pit stop strategies. Though that is often easier if you are playing catch up and have nothing to lose, and if you're trying to defend. But even so, they've not shown any strategic weakness either. So therefore, you're saying you have all the parts. Now you need to put it together, and you talk a good game. Mm. Now you need to put it together. And I'm pretty certain that Max Verstappen is expecting to be, ha- to, be, to be driving a car in Australia that has the potential of winning the race and winning every other... Well, no, no, every, every, every car has the odd duff race. But effectively, he, he expects to be turning up every single weekend with a race-winning car. Whereas this year, he's turned up with a race-winning car perhaps six times and won three of them. Hmm. Uh, it's Nick Damon. Uh, we've got up to the top two constructors and we're looking at the Formula One World Championship for 2019. Uh, the Scuderia, Ferrari, 504 points, uh, up almost 100 points on Red Bull Racing Honda, but still at 230-odd points behind Mercedes. Uh, their two drivers, Charles Leclerc and uh, Sebastian Vettel, uh, which one of them is number one? That's what we, I suppose, will have to discuss going forward when we get into the preview programme, always assuming that Sebastian Vettel comes back in twenty. 20- 20. Um, ultimately, the young pretender, uh, my tip for young driver of the year, Charles Leclerc, outscored his illustrious multi-world champion teammate by 24 points, a whole race victory near uh, enough. Um, they promised so much at the start of the year, according to all the experts. It, this was going to be Ferrari's best opportunity. All right, they did come second, but really... Neither of the drivers were there enough of the time to put any pressure on Valtteri Bottas, never mind Lewis Hamilton's position in the championship. You have to admit that they did deliver virtually all the stories of the year, though. They were they were really, really good for column inches. I mean, it was from the start. Scuderia Ferrari, headline generator. Well, exactly. You start, you start and they leapt out of the gate in testing and we were convinced they had a lead they were going, they were going to you know blitz the first few races they were fantastic the car looked great their concept of the inswept wing was going to sweep all before literally the swept wing revolution you know they they started off and then they then made the statement that Vettel was number 1 and Leclerc was number 2 we go, oh is that a good idea and then in the preview um both myself um and uh Sam both agreed that by some point in the season, Leclerc would be better than Vettel. We just disagreed on how long it would take. I said about half the season, he said by the end. But we all thought that Leclerc was going to be better than Vettel, mainly because Vettel has had not a great couple of years. And I actually listened to our preview show, and uh, Tim asked me, you know, who's going to be the world champion? And I said, well, it's all really, it's a battle between Vettel's head and the, the, and the championships. If Vettel keeps his head together, he'll win it. If he, loses, if he doesn't, Hamilton will win it. So, so he said, who do you think will win? I said, Hamilton will win. Yeah. And whilst, in fairness, it ended up being a little bit different because of the way that Mercedes came out of the block so well in the end, 
In the end of the day, that's what happened. Fettel's head was never strong enough to win the World Championship. By the time Leclerc got his act together, they were too far behind. Ferrari then involved themselves in some exceptionally dubious practices, which I do think we need to go into. Yeah, we will. Um, and But every race was a story for them. You start off with what happened to their pace in, in Australia. You go to Bahrain and you have you know, Leclerc dominating the weekend and then losing a cylinder. And then what does Fettel do? He spins under no contact. On his own. Not even under pressure. And and Lewis goes past. And you, you come back and then you, you get, get another race. And you, you go to Azerbaijan. They were the fastest Azerbaijan. Then Leclerc throws it off in qualifying. And it's it's like, oh. And they just couldn't put it together. Canada. We're going to win Canada. We're going to Canada. What happens? Lewis pressurises Fettel into mistake. And he's off the train. He gets a five-second ban. Throws a petulant fit. But you, you know, he didn't win the race. And it's, you know, you get to the UK, get to Austria, and, and, and Leclerc gets bullied off the track by Verstappen and loses the win. You get to the UK. What happens there? Vettel rams Verstappen up the backside. All the time with this kind of seething battle underneath about who's number one, who's not number one, what's happening in the future. And as Vettel makes more and more mistakes, Leclerc can see his chance. All with the little, kind of, little horn rim smiling glass of Mattia Benito, and we're all going, Matty, you're not doing any better job than Arab Benny. You have to come out and talk about Arab Benny, we just shut the doors and wander off. And it was effectively just the Keystone Cop element came back in again. And, you know, and as they made mistake after mistake after error after error, most of it design, very much focus really around the drivers in my opinion yeah, you bring back Stefano Domenicali I think no, I wouldn't do I'd bring back Jean Top but you know um, <laughs> well he'd be out of a job shortly surely <laughs> I don't know once he's got his Nobel Prize prize yeah but you sat there you go that's what you need a Ferrari a Nobel Prize prize the first eight races were one twos yeah. and that was because were Mercedes the greatest car ever built no no Red Bull couldn't get on top of the tyres Ferrari couldn't get on top of their team if we had, it's ifs and buts, but realistically, it should have been at best five three and probably four all after the first eight race on win. I'm not saying overall points, but it well, all if you look uh, even at just a back of a, an envelope calculation of how many points Ferrari threw away, I know that's a dangerous thing to do because you you don't know how people yeah, yeah. are racing exactly, at, at yeah. the end. But but let's let's just look at that. They should have been pushing Mercedes, Mercedes all the way. And one of their two drivers should have been at least between the two Mercedes drivers. In which case, their best driver is in fourth position. Now, all right, because they both scored well, and, and ultimately because of the fact that Red Bull didn't have a second driver worthy of the name for the whole season, they end up second in the manufacturer's points. But a distant second, and with... All kinds of trouble that they have to negotiate in this off-season. Vettel, I thought, came back pretty well a couple of times. Singapore being one of them. I think Vettel had a t- the first half of the season was like you know not particularly good. But he picked up in Germany actually, where he started had to start from back. I think we have no fault of his own and kept it on the island and everyone else was was was, was falling off and we drove through to second. That was a great run, especially obviously a year after the disaster in the way he had there. Um, Hungary, Hungary, they were nowhere. They were Vettel, sorry, Verstappen and uh, Hamilton, a marvellous fight, and two minutes back, it was a long way back with the two Ferraris. We had a summer break, and we turn up at um, Belgium, and the car's so quick, so mm. quick. And we go to Italy, and it's so quick, but unfortunately, it's marred by another Vettel mistake as he threw it off the track and uh, punted off. But the car's just so quick, and suddenly it's, you know, they go, well, that's fine, that's fine. Those are the low drag circuits. We need to be fast. They go to Singapore. 
and they're so quick again. Mm-hmm. And they win, but they win by cocking up between the two drivers. And suddenly Leclerc is, is, miss, is, is unfavoured, inverted commas, and, and so Seb gets a win because they think he needed a win, so they, get, they engineered him ahead. Or well, that's allegedly. But they're so quick. What's going on here? You know, and then we go to uh, I think was it, was it Russia, and they were again so quick. What happens? Fettel breaks down, and Mercedes playing the tactical long game, win the race through a through a free pit stop. But they were so quick, and they get to you know, again Japan. They're fastest again, no problem at all. And then oh, hang on, people start issuing issuing you know little questions about engines. And 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 which team was it that asked for the clarification? Uh, it was the clarifications were all asked for by Red Bull. Um, Red Bull um, asked for two clarifications, but actually, I think there's even uh, more. In fact, but a lot of clarifications were asked. Now, you made you you did a cracking piece on Midweek Motorsport around that time about why it's better to ask for a clarification than to try something and then have it ruled illegal, because Red Bull and a couple of the other teams, but it was Red Bull who stuck their head up above mm. the parapet and, and give them credit for that yeah, if that's totally, what they yeah. think. Paul Mulhanya. and the and they uh, asked the technical committee for a clarification on what constituted fuel and how fuel had to be delivered, and crucially, what the role of oil was. Yeah, there were, these are two different technical regulations. The, 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 not wishing to repeat, hopefully you haven't listened to every, well, hopefully you have listened to every motor sport, but just to see, one, the reason that oil burn is so important in modern F1 is, is a fuel flow formula. So you have a max amount of fuel that can go in. Therefore, obviously oil is not as good a combustion as petrol, but it's more stuff going in. So if you can get some oil vapour in it's there... It's better than just air. You've got more bangy stuff. So, mm. And it's not judged by the maximum fuel. So it's extra... Because so with your 100 litres a, a, a minute maximum fuel throw, whatever it is, 100 litres a... Wherever the maximum fuel throw is, you you are limited by that to I don't know thousand uh, horsepower, but you're nine hundred probably. But with a bit of extra oil in there, yeah, twenty, forty, sixty horsepower more um, from burning, and that's why the oil burn's been brought down and down and down over the past. Um, and when when you say oil burn, um, there 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 is an understanding that these um, highly stressed, highly engineered, small capacity engines mm-hmm. putting out. Four well, figures yeah, of horsepower uh, are going to burn yes, some oil, very, and there will be loss. The thing is, in your in your road car, you will have probably three piston rings, mm-hmm. at least three piston rings, which, which are on each piston. On each piston, which actually will effectively seal. seal it. Racing engines have one; they have one because it's, it limits the drag, and they're not worried about losing oil. Whereas, obviously, a road car, you don't want to burn oil. So, the the point is, is it always is a loss system within a racing engine, which is fine because they're only supposed to run for you know five hundred kilometers before you can top them up again or or have the before rebuild. So, the two um, directives. The first one about oil was the Ferrari is unique in using a oil cooled intercooler. Everybody Everyone else uses water, water, water cooled intercooler, yes. air and water and air and oil. Yeah. And they were saying that what's happening is because because the FIA got on top of the basic engine oil being burnt by putting very strict limits in you couldn't get round so that was fine everyone was doing that so the idea was well, if our if our oily intercooler had a bit of a weep a bit of a weep into the induction system we could get more oil in so that so instead of putting it in through the pistons comes in through the it, co- it comes in through the air. intake manifold yeah intake manifold yeah exactly it would get driven in um, as a byproduct of the cooling of the air 
So it's in the air rather than the fuel. And that's actually more efficient than just dropping it in the cylinder because you've got it vaporised. Yeah, and they were saying, well, that's, that's, is that allowed? And they go, no, it wouldn't be allowed at all. So that's now been a rule put in. You couldn't do it. Now, prior to that, of course, because it wasn't actually specifically not allowed, you'd have to protest it, which is 50-50. And, no, and let's be really honest, the teams don't like protesting each other. It's very sour feeling, as you know we had with the Renault and the... Um, mm-hmm. Uh, Racing Point protest after Japan about the uh, brake bias machine. But everyone's recriminations. No one wants to do it. So they said, well, let's just say, if I was doing that, would it be legal? Now, why Red Bull would ask them about the leaking from an oil-fired intercooler when they haven't got an oil-fired intercooler? Or, or, anyway, so anyway, no, you can't do that. And they've put in some regulations now about measuring the oil in there and told them you can't do it. The second one, um, which related a little bit more to peak power, was there was a concept that you could very cleverly um, get round the peak flow meter. So the peak flow meter is taking a pulse, or taking a measurement every X milliseconds, milliseconds be it 20. And there was an idea that you could actually tune the, uh, for bed, one bed on your fuel pump, it's, it's obviously far more advanced than that. So it'd actually be in tune with the metering pulse. So when it was metering, it was 100 kilograms a litre, and then and it'd just give it a bit more when it wasn't being metered. So it's on a kind of a, you know, if you think about it, it was in phase wow. with the measurement. Oh, yeah, they're, they're pretty clever. So when it was in phase, so out of phase, it'd be giving, we're not talking about 100 and 120. We're talking a, a little bit more because that's all you need under full power is a little bit more. Mm-hmm. You know, you think about it, if you've got a, if you've got 100 kilograms, it's giving you 1,000. Uh, 100 kilogram flow rate is giving you 1,000 horsepower. Well, you get 105, oh, it's 1,050. It is. Mm-hmm. And don't forget, modern F1 engines are incredibly understressed. There's a rev limit at 15,000. None of them go above 12. There's no point because they can't do it because of the fuel. So they've all got a lot more in potential. I mean, turbos, a lot the more in potential. as well, of course. Yeah. So that was the other thing, that someone was potentially, you know, pulsing back. So, so what's happened on that was, A, it was illegal. And secondly, for next year, there's going to be a second monitor put in. So they're going to monitor it in two places at two different times to make it virtually impossible hmm. because it be, they'll be out of phase. Now, totally important to say, at no point have Ferrari been openly accused. They certainly haven't been in any way um, penalised, convicted, or anything on these sanctioned, two levels. Yeah. Sanctioned, told off, anything. Unfortunately, in the wonderful world of circumstantial evidence, uh, once those two directives came out, their straight line speed disappeared. Yeah, And that was based on the fact that they then did the thing you should never do much, which is the lady protests so much and you think she must be guilty. Yeah. Whereas Matteo Bonito went on again, again, again. It's because they were trying a different downforce solution. All right, so how can the car just you know, way slower over a lap than it was? And that's at uh, Austin, that's at Brazil, and that's at Abu Dhabi, which are three very different circuits. Mm. So whilst they had retained some straight line advantage, because they are, still very low drag they lost the ability they had to actually power their way around the rest of the track so I would say on balance they were being clever because the things they were doing weren't probably illegal I think that I think if they were doing the pulsing thing it probably was illegal if they were doing the intercooler thing it wasn't really illegal it just wasn't people hadn't policed it properly so it, it is so important that the new hypercar regulations actually have a complete section from the ACO, uh, written in uh, conjunction with the FIA, I am led to believe, uh, by Vincent Bourmanil, the sporting director, that actually stipulates what oil is, the makeup of the oil in terms of its molecular structure, which is also something that Ferrari allegedly were playing around with, um, in terms of its 
um, octane value and whether it could be used as fuel and where and when you're allowed to top it up and where and when it's allowed to get into the cylinders. And there's a whole section of the new hypercar regulations that has been inserted, which I'm pretty certain is... I think I think what's happened is F1 has been running in turbo hybrid regions now for six seasons. And everybody's looking for an edge. And they have done what you do. They've taken the low-hanging fruit, they've click, 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 clicked it all the low, and now it's getting the really clever stuff, but those 20 or 30 horsepower they're getting is major. Hmm. Uh, let's move away from uh, Ferrari. We can't then. really, actually. I mean, I think I, I know you're, we, we were short of time. We may have to extend because we okay. haven't even talked about the drivers yet. Well, true enough. <laughs> Let, well, okay, so let's let's talk about um, Sebastian Vettel, um, the the old dog in the team, coming towards the end of his career. And and I've got to say that I made no bones about it at this time last year when we were doing this. I I thought that he would be comprehensively outperformed by his young teammate that his head would explode and at some stage during the season he would announce he was retiring that hasn't happened no, and I think we I, were only a couple of steps away from it not happening think, but it hasn't happened I, thought, I think I think you know, there was, was an element where we all thought he might be about to retire um, he made his usual amount of mistakes he's won every three races um, <laughs> it's true John mm, I, know. Um, I, mean, I, I, know. I am including the, the, the slight false start in Japan as one of those even though it didn't cost him terribly deeply um, he had a much better second half of the season uh, post summer break. He came back well um, outside, of course, of the problem in in Italy. So post post Italy, he got very scrappy about who was number one, specifically in Russia, fighting back against against the tie, which he had to do. And he was and he was back to his um, multi twenty one best inverted commas. Mm-hmm. You know the reason is he's a smiling assassin as 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 he's always been. Of course, he didn't finally have that total support that he gets he got from Red Bull. Um, so he did basically what we thought he was going to do this year. He put in a couple of good performances. He he had a huge struggle with Leclerc, which he started to lose from race two. Um, managed to to hold him off, and then had a torrid period in the middle of the season where I think he was out qualified for nine or ten times in the spin, and then towards the back end, it evened back up again. Um, and he goes into next year really knowing it's his last year because there's no point rehiring him again as far as I'm concerned. And Leclerc is obviously the future of Ferrari. Mm. Um, and, so if, and if we move to Leclerc, I don't know who advises Leclerc and who his management is. You you might. Um, it's uh, Nicholas Todd. It is Nicholas Todd. Yeah. yeah, okay. Um, they got hold of him very early and stopped him from becoming a petulant whatnot. And in fact, most of the things that he said to the press during the year were conciliatory. We'll have to talk about this later. We've got to make sure we do the best for the team. He was very good at interacting with other drivers in the uh, pre-podium celebrations and knowing that he's being listened to at that as well. It was interesting what was being said. I also thought as well, in fairness, that I thought both Valtteri Bottas and... Lewis Hamilton had clearly either worked this out for themselves or been given a, a directive to do so that any time in front of a camera or a microphone they could big up Leclerc um, and not big up the the performance of of Sebastian. That was that was being done, and I thought that was quite clever as well. Le- Leclerc's driving is good; uh, it's very good. Uh, he's an exciting young driver. He went through a horrible. Uh, season as well, let's not forget, with the loss of his friend, Antoine Hubert, uh, in, at Spa. Um, those two had come up together. He 
handled that, I thought, tremendously maturely and in a very sensible way. Not in a mawkish way or anything like that. He he did. The whole of the Formula One grid, actually, I thought, reacted very well to that and, and didn't overreact either. I thought Leclerc had a great, a good season, not a great season. He will have great seasons to come. Whether it's at Ferrari or not, I don't know. Second season, John. I think for second season, it's pretty impressive. Mm. Um, you know, he's he, it's very impressive at Ferrari. Yeah, I mean, he, he didn't seem to get crushed by the politics. I think that probably was one thing that Mattia Benito being in charge uh, did help with. He light pushed, a touch, pushed, light a touch from. He from pushed Mattia. back against Vettel. They're having it. They decided to have a row. He's, you know, the, the, he let. Fettel passed a couple of times at the beginning of the season when he was told or didn't pass him and then he got a bit fed up with it. Um, ma- maximises opportunities. Unlucky, obviously, in Bahrain when the cylinder went. Um, managed to win a couple of races after the summer break. Did, did, did Kind of ticked all the boxes. Of course, he was the top qualifier. Seven poles. So he's quick. I think, you know, he had a season which he can be very proud of. Few inconsistencies. It's his second season. You know, better than Verstappen's second season. That's for sure. So going into season three with more confidence, at worst, equal number one status, hopefully a car that they've got the handle on, he's going to be a major threat. Will he be disappointed that he finished up, what, 14 points behind Max Verstappen? I genuinely don't think that that, if you're not Was it more first, important for him to be 24 points ahead of oh, Sebastian Vettel? Way more important, yeah. But, but um, yeah, I don't, think, I don't think they really worry that much. I think, you know, it's a, it, they, Ferrari know where their problems are. They had a problem with the car. They got the concept wrong. Um, they maximised the races they should win. Uh, they managed to win a couple of others because of maximising other things. Um, and they threw things away. <laughs> you know, they threw things away. Car, driver, you know, you know, in fa- you know, for example, it's a very good chance that Leclerc threw away um, Baku by crashing in qualifying when he should have been on pole. And being in pole in Baku is important. But, you know, I think at the end of the day, it's, next, it's an excellent second season. Let's move on to the champions then. Teams and drivers for Mercedes-Benz. Valtteri Bottas with 326 points, some 50 points ahead of Verstappen, but still sharp end of 100 points away from the championship leader, Lewis Hamilton. But that did give the Constructors' title again to uh, Mercedes. 739 points against 504 from Ferrari. Now, the most shocking stat for me is something that you brought up just before the end of the season when you pointed out to me that the best qualifier in Formula 1 of this generation, of this current crop, who is Lewis Hamilton, had only got how many? Well, he only had four there, but then he got the fifth one. That's right. So he'd only had four up until the last race. Four four out, it was four out of 20, and they got five out of 21, yeah. I think it's an interesting it's interesting stat that that the you can cross stats any way you want to. The undeniable fact is in two thousand and nineteen the best Formula One racer is Lewis Hamilton. Yeah. Because he raced from not on pole to victory. More times than he, he did. Yes, made exactly. tires last that shouldn't have last. He he got past people. He the other thing he did, you know, and it was noticeable, the one mistake he made all season, so one of the two mistakes he made all season was when he'd already won the championship, was what he didn't do was do stupid things. 
Mm. You know, when when Leclerc was forcing off the track in uh, in Italy, he 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 just backed off and, and took second. You know, the only time he actually did anything was when he decided to go for it in Brazil and went up the inside of Albon, which I still think he was far too contrite about. But if that had been for the championship, he wouldn't have been, been yeah. as contrite. And more importantly, I think he was very clever politics too. But we've talked about that before. Mm. Lewis Hamilton was absolutely superb this season because I'll tell you what we didn't have we didn't have any of those Lewis off weekends well how many times have we talked before about the only person who can really beat Lewis is Lewis we didn't have any of those weekends didn't do it didn't do it I mean he had the German Grand Prix he was ill he was ill. He still stuck the thing on pole. He led till it rained, and then when it rained, things went horribly wrong, both for him in going off in the soap section, which number did, and then there's a cock up in the uh, Mercedes pit crew, and then he span and got away with it. Due to circumstance, he still got two points. So, but you go right. That was a bit of a dodgy hour, effectively. The second half of the race, not giving an excuse. He shouldn't have crashed, and he shouldn't have gone off a second time. But he was ill, and it was an hour in the whole season, and that is why. You know, he and obviously he was helped by the, the the failings of everyone else. But the thing to remember is, if we all remember the post summer break, post summer break, wow, Ferrari, Ferrari, then Red Bull won and Red Bull won. Who got the most points in the second half of the season? Hamilton, twenty five points more than anyone else. Always does because even but though he always does, you know, let's yeah, you know, the second half of the season, you know, it's it's second, third, fourth, first, third, first, second. First and and the and then what was the seventh in um, which would have been second or third if he hadn't been champion at that point in Brazil because he wouldn't if he he needed the points he wouldn't have gone past Albon no you know and this is the point and so you kind of go right so he's just a metronomical person who can who can see that point this is the thing you have to think about with him to Max Verstappen you don't win a championship by going for every move in fact you win a championship by not going for moves and Ayrton Senna's ridiculous quote which has poisoned motor racing. If you don't go for a gap, I'm not a racing driver. No, if you don't go for a gap, you're a person with some form of intelligence sometimes. You know, this whole thing, uh, the canonization of ridiculous sayings by Ayrton Senna should be shot out of the thing. Because the whole point about winning a championship is it's about 21 races. Well, you didn't, obviously, you only need 18. But it's about how you win the championship is you don't go for every gap. You actually use your brain to work out when it's worthwhile and when it's not. Got to work out the battles that are worth fighting. Exactly. And, you know, and then, and, and then you, the other thing which Lewis does better than anybody else, well, better, better than anyone other driver who's probably as good as him at this, but he's driving for a racing point, and that's tyre management. Mm. Lewis, despite always moaning about the tyres and always whinging about the tyres and thinking they're never going to last, he's actually... And you're talking about Sergio Perez. Yeah. He's a master yeah. of making the tyres work. And, you know... Now... One thing I will say is Mercedes-Benz in early season, pre-season testing, always, always, always do the most laps on the medium compounds of tyres, yeah. whichever they are. And and I always think when we get to a weekend and they've got to make a tyre work, they or if they've got any worries about what they're going to do, they're going to default back to doing a long run on whatever the medium tyre is that weekend. And so those three medium, middle, medium compounds, they work on and they work on all year and they are absolutely unbeatable on them. They well, get good longevity and they go, get good pace out of them. I think, yeah, they, they certainly understood the tyres better than anyone else in the first half dozen races. Um, and that was a, a key area of why they managed to put in six one twos at the start. Um, well, and everybody else tripping over themselves. That's one, but, but you've got to be there. Oh, yes, yes, you know. yes. And, the, and, and so you're going back to testing, John. They had a weird test. Test one, they turned up with 
half a point five car. Yes. Then came a complete revised car, the second car, and the times weren't there. But I think actually, I think Sam made the point actually on the preview. They'd done so many more laps than anyone else. Correct. Not necessarily at this super fast pace, but they just trundled around. And the reliability and the reliability of the Mercedes is such that Lewis Hamilton has become the second driver ever to score a point in every single round of a championship. Uh, and did he? And who who didn't take any engine penalties this year? Lewis Hamilton. He did the three engines. More importantly, the only other person not to have scored in every single round of championship was Lewis Hamilton a couple of years beforehand. Yep. So Bottas was unlucky. I think he had an engine blow penultimate race, didn't he? Um, and so he was unlucky and had to take an engine. But the, the fact was that this, that, that reliability they, that they've managed to engender into the Mercedes, backed up with the fact that Hamilton's not making mistakes. Correct. You know, outside the the, the spin in um, Germany, but you know, compared to else, and, and, and you, you sit there, he's in the lead. Oh, he's going to win. Still not a stellar year for Mercedes tactically. You still wonder if they've got a magic eight ball at the back sometimes. Sometimes, there was a point in the season where they did three or four races where I thought, oh, that's it, finally they've brought a tactician in and they understand how this thing works now because they made some really smart calls. They completely flummoxed the rest of the teams. And it was, as I say, it was two or three races, maybe three or four races on the bounce. Yeah, it was the early part of the season, yeah. And then they make, out of nowhere... You go, no, 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 you have to bring I, him in. I think, you have to bring I him in. I think that's a perception, to be honest, because they... Um, they so they've a, still got a magic They did ball. a brilliant job in, in Hungary, because they took him in, they took him out, and then, oh, obviously, Lewis did a great job as well. Mm-hmm. Um, if you then look at Italy and Belgium, there's nothing much you could do. Singapore, they had a bit of a mare, because they kept him out too long. Correct. Following race, in... in uh, Russia, they won because they had the tactic and they got on the harder tyre to keep them out because they knew they couldn't beat Ferrari's special pace. So they just literally just kept them out as long as possible. And, and, and you know, and irony of irony, it was Vettel who broke down and gave them the chance of the cheap pit stop and they won from there. Mm. So I think, you know, I think I would say, yeah, I don't think they, I don't think any of the teams are flawless. We obviously give an awful lot more attention to Ferrari and Mercedes. So we see both their good and their bad. Mm-hmm. Um, Red Bull tend to only get seen for their good, so we don't know whether they made bad. But I would say that Mercedes probably got it right. If there were, say, ten key decisions to make, I reckon they probably got seven of them right. Okay. Um, let's talk about the drivers then. Valtteri Bottas, pretty good wingman, does best, what he's meant to do. Year, the whole porridge, Valtteri 2.0, we were all sitting there going, oh, I know you've got to write something, but honestly, do you, does anybody actually believe this isn't going to turn around? And it turned around, what, three races later, and then... Lewis stretched away. The problem with Valtteri, Valtteri, like so many uh, very good Formula One drivers, and you know, from all the great number twos, from Coulthard to you know Eddie Irvine, uh, Eddie Irvine, well, he's way better than Eddie Irvine. Um, you know, even Rosberg. And they have weekends where they are on it, bang, yeah, and they're a little bit quicker, and they get a bit faster, and they and they beat the number one, hooray! And then the number one is there the next weekend, and they're not quite as good, and they get beaten, and they get better. But then it's not first and second; it's first against fourth. Yeah. And three races, and then they have another great race. Hey, but then there's four races in between where the where the where the Hamilton's been better. And this is Bottas. Bottas is not a bad driver. Bottas is a very very good driver, but he is racing against indisputably one of the all-time greats. The the thing for me that frustrates me about Bottas is exactly that. You'll see him do something and go, "Oh, right, fantastic, yeah, okay, great," and then, as you say, the next race. When the team really needs him to put 
in some fast laps or when they really need him to put pressure on one of the Ferraris or one of the Red Bulls. And you think, well, I saw him do that in the last race. He'd be able to... Open. Oh, he hasn't been able to open his pace at all. Yeah. And, and I just... I find that exceptionally frustrating. I'm sure he does as well. And I'm sure there's something going on behind the scenes. He's... I'm not saying he's doing it deliberately. No. I'm not saying he's not trying. Of course I'm not saying that. But it, it, just, it just doesn't have the ability to, to just find that extra bit of pace... Like he can do sometimes. Bottas doesn't have as good tight management as Hamilton, which is no. a disadvantage, a big disadvantage in, in modern F1. And he doesn't have the consistency. You know, you have to look at, you know, he won, he won in Japan going away, from, even though in many ways I think that Mercedes manipulated that so Lewis didn't win when there was a possibility he stayed out, he could have done. And then the following weekend in Mexico, whilst he got a third, it was a very lucky third, uh, and a distant third compared to Lewis who, you know, tire manages way to victory in a remarkable result so you know that's the difference it's, it's different between being very good and being inspired and you know you, you look at the drivers who you think can be very very yeah you've got Hamilton obviously Verstappen has got a chance to be there you think Leclerc may well get there as well but the other guys they're, not, they're, not, they're still great but they haven't got that level of inspiration let's talk about Lewis Hamilton then uh, another championship I'll be honest, I never thought it was in doubt. I, I didn't believe the hype at the start of the season. I never do. I think that's to sell magazines and to get people to tune into TV programmes. It didn't look to me as though anybody would really challenge Mercedes. And for all the reasons that we've discussed, nobody really did. In fairness, the numbers that Hamilton and Mercedes, Hamilton Bottas and Mercedes posted at the end of the year perhaps made it look a little easier than it was at times. But Hamilton is just head and shoulders above the rest of the grid at the moment. When the car's not on, he works harder. He's not the one that whinges about the car not being great. And he'll drag that car to a result. And crucially, that tyre management part that we do hear so much about <laughs> on the radio, he's very good at it. And he'll get, he'll get life in the second half of the, of the stint that nobody else gets. He's stuck a car on. He's got the point for fast lap. We didn't discuss the point for fast lap because in the end it didn't mean anything. But he got the point for fast lap in both Silverstone and Abu Dhabi. Without getting new tyres. On very old, yes. hard tyres. Yeah. He's sitting on that point where he's looked after them and he just unleashes and goes because he's got that. It, it's, That's it's a good the, point. That the ability is a good point. he's got. I mean, you know, I think the he's one of... Two drivers who I can think of, or perhaps, you know, who can drive it. And we used to have, you know, the, the, the thing we used to say about Fernando is he could outdrive the car. Correct. Same to a level with Verstappen, though occasionally he overdrives the car, and completely the same with Lewis. He outdrives it. And when you're starting with a Mercedes and you outdrive it, things tend to go quite well. Well, the thing is, he's not had to outdrive it very often, has he? He's, he's been able to pace himself and run at a pace because they've had such an engine advantage in the early years of the formula. What we're seeing now, I think, is even better performances for Lewis because oh, yeah. because the performance advantage that Mercedes have, and I still believe have, as everything, the drivers, the teams, the tyre management, the engine, the everything, I still think Mercedes have got the advantage. It's not as big as it was, and it's not always there as big as it was. There are times when people are very close, if not a smidge ahead of them. So they have to work a bit harder. And all of a sudden, Lewis has done that. And that is the mark of a great. Yeah, absolutely. And, I think, and the team as well. I mean, yeah, yeah with, with Toto, obviously the loss of Nicky was, 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 was yeah, very hard for the team to take. But again, they just knuckled down and regrouped. But I think you make a very good point. Very if, elegantly if think, dealt with as well. Yeah, exactly. If you think about 2016, when um, Lewis lost to... Uh, 
Nico, they won 19 of the races between them, um, you know, and it was down to reliability. But then, he went. But then we had Ferrari resurgence in 17 and 18, and it was a proper championship. And it was, and this year, I think, and you made a very good point there, I don't think this car had, if you take it, you turn up individual races, and you could probably point to, of the 21 races, I reckon you could point to 10 or 11 of them, perhaps even more than that, even the second half, perhaps 12 or 13, where it wasn't the best car. It wasn't rubbish. But either the Red Bull was a better car or the Ferrari was a better car on that day in those tracks. But the Ferrari still won 15 of the races, even though they were only, probably only the best car for eight or nine of them. And what, the, the McLaren did? No, the, the Mercedes did. Uh, sorry, the, the Mercedes. <laughs> Between yes, the two I've, of them. First time I've done that. You yes, know, yes and they, sorry. And the, and the number of races they didn't win, they should have won, is probably just Germany. Um, that's the only race they didn't win, they should have won. Um, and... But the the other key point about it is is that when they weren't winning, they were just clocking up the points, the seconds, the thirds, the, the podiums. They should, you know, and no. that was noticeable with Hamilton as well. If he wasn't winning and he was coming home to a second or a third, which mostly was, he wasn't off the podium very many times. And when you listen to his team radio, it was, thanks to guys, great job. You know, we got the best out of it today. You were great. You know, we've seen before win... Lewis has been a bit of if we win it's all down to me if we lose it's all down to the team that's mm. that's disappeared now I mean I mean I think I think he was he was lightly grumpy in Australia until he saw he had the floor damage and then he went oh fine that's fine yeah because if, if he if he knows why he's not won okay I, okay he beat me why did he beat me oh I had the floor damage okay and you're absolutely right that there's this whole thing I've come third but that's the best we could get today move on and I'm still leading the championship mm. Was and he headed in the championship this year? Yeah, by Bottas' the first two rounds. Oh, yes, of course. Yeah. Was mainly because Bottas got a 26 in the first round, and uh, it was it was a point, and then, he, of course, he, it came back. But, um, yeah, I mean, it's a it's a, a, a bravara performance by Hamilton. Yeah, probably whilst it got... Because of the great start they made, it, went, it was all a foregone conclusion. But if you actually look at the sequence he put together, it's a, a really impressive season. 11 wins, a really impressive season. And... You know, it, it is going to be hard next year because the the, the fact that the, the people will be ironing out their issues. But the good thing for Mercedes is they've got issues to iron out themselves and improve this goal. I'm going to say it now. It's, <laughs> it's Mercedes and uh, Hamilton for next year as well. Don't believe the hype of the uh, early season and pre-season testing. It's going to be no different. Nick Damon has been our Iron Formula 1 throughout 2019. We thank him for that. And, of course, we will continue our coverage of the FIA Formula 1 season 2020 throughout Midweek Motorsport every Wednesday uh, throughout 2020 uh, starting at 8 o'clock UK time every Wednesday night. Thank you Nick and thank you for listening. Bye bye. This programme is a Radio Show Limited production. Tell your friends there's more at RadioLeMond.com